This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Wrangle.io. Wrangle.io is putting on a free webinar that introduces Angular 2 components. It will be April 25th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. To sign up, go to javascriptjabber.com slash wrangle. That's javascript.com slash r-a-n-g-l-e. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the JavaScript Jabber Show. Today on our show, we have Amy Knight. Hello. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from my bedroom. I'm your host, Dave Smith, filling in for Chuck, who is at the Microsoft Build Conference this week in San Francisco. Today, we have with us a very special guest, Marcus Blankenship. Hello. Marcus, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I am someone who likes to help software managers build great teams and give developers great bosses. So that is sort of what I love to do, and uh, I love to be on shows like this. So I'm really excited about this. All right. So where do I get good bosses? Is there a good boss store? There is, right? How come everybody is worried about getting good developers, but nobody's worried about getting good bosses, right? There's no Elance for bosses, is there? Although I don't think so. <laughs> I suppose that wouldn't yield good bosses. It didn't yield very good programmers. <laughs> I want to start with a quick poll, if I could. I'm curious. I'd love to hear from each of you guys. Do you remember the worst boss you ever had? And Amy, would you go first? Tell me a bit about the worst boss you ever had. <laughs> oh, joy, I get to go first. <laughs> Amy doesn't uh, like bad-mouthing people, so this is hard for her. Don't, uh, don't use so their real name. Hopefully it's okay if I pick one that was not in software. Of course. So I would say my worst boss, she was at my very first job, and I think the issue there was that she had a really hard time separating out her work life from her personal life. So her personal life kind of bled over into work and made it a little bit difficult sometimes. Well, she was your worst boss, but it only made it a little bit difficult. <laughs> oh, I'm being nice. <laughs> what was the impact on you? I mean, I've certainly had employees where their work-life balance flowed over and it had various impacts. But as an employee of this person, what was – how did you – how did it impact you that her life flowed over in inappropriate ways? I mean, it just really probably distracted me from focusing on what I was supposed to focus on. So I think there were a couple incidents where it would get really loud and there may or may not have been a cell phone thrown across the office. <laughs> uh, wow. Did they uh, ever anyway. flip any tables? I've heard that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Luckily, the phone was not thrown at me, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just distracted from my ability to, you know, do what I needed to do. How much did you respect this boss? 
Ooh, yeah, it definitely detracted from that. I had a lot of respect at first, but of course, I think like the more you get to know someone, the more they show their true colors. So over time, that kind of degraded. Mm, I'm sorry to hear I tend, that. I tend to respect a good cell phone thrower, though. That takes skill. <laughs> <laughs> I think an iPhone, you can skip on the water like a smooth rock a little bit. But uh, well, thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. Uh, AJ, tell me about your worst boss. Again, not software job. I worked at a grocery store and this was, you know, back in the high school days. Because fortunately, I went to a vocational high school, so I actually got like a fairly real job like right after high school. But while I was in high school, I worked at the grocery store and my manager just, I was just a number. I was just a peon. I was just there to do exactly what I was told and no more and no less. And I did have another job that I had a really great manager that was also a food services job. But this one, yeah, it was just, it was, I was my employee ID. And if I did not function the way that a robot functions, then I was a malfunction. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, that sounds pretty terrible. Uh, Dave, tell me about your worst boss. Okay. This is going to go meta on you, but I am my own worst boss. Uh-oh. <laughs> my that job. thought crossed my mind too. Yeah. That, that was going to be my number two. <laughs> nobody is more critical of me. Nobody does a poorer job of managing my time than me. And uh, so, yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> but but come on, you must have some example of another human being. I, I do. Okay. <laughs> do have Dave, one, you're, so, you're uh, actually my worst boss too, so we have that in common. <laughs> career goal achieved. Yep. <laughs> I'm at the top of someone's list. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I have had a... a very difficult to work with boss. And the primary thing that made this person difficult to work with was that he or she did not listen. He or she would talk over me and my input was never really part of the conversation. It was very one-sided. Uh, literally, I'd be in the middle of a sentence and this person would just begin talking like, oh, I guess you weren't listening at all, you know? So to me, that was the number one most frustrating boss experience. That's that is that's pretty awful, and yet I suspect all too all too common. Okay, Jameson, round us out here. Tell me about your worst boss. My worst boss. I don't think I feel comfortable saying I've had a worst boss because then I'm going to think of something worse probably later on. But okay, a bad uh, one. I'd say maybe a boss that I didn't enjoy working for was someone who who just did not respect the people that that worked for them. You kind of got the impression that they thought that we were all pretty incompetent, which may or may not have been true, and <laughs> and that we would always be kind of incompetent, and we were just kind of waiting to screw some things up. That was a not fun person to work for. That sounds pretty awful, too. Well, you know, the reason I ask about this is because I hear there's a lot of commonality in what everybody said here. I mean, Amy's got this boss that created a really unsafe environment is sounds what it sounds like like it, a lot of things made it amy would you agree with that uh i mean yeah it's just like i was saying like her personal life really like bled into work life so i, I mean i wouldn't say like it was like physically unsafe i mean it's just a cell phone like <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's not flinging it really hard at your head and she wasn't she's like a pretty tiny lady but <laughs> <laughs> Not like this was major league cell phone pitching or anything. <laughs> no, and there probably wasn't a lot of throwing, right? Uh, it was just, so it was only one incident, but I don't know. Yeah, like I would have a hard time saying it was unsafe, but it just, like I was saying earlier, it just made it more difficult to do what I was there to do. I think that it sounds like there's, I heard this theme of, you know, people said that my boss didn't really respect us. I was just a number. I was nobody to my boss. My boss maybe acted. Maybe I'll say, Amy, it sounds like sometimes your boss was a little unpredictable. I don't know if anybody. Yes, there you go. That's a, that's a good word for it. <laughs> we'll, use, we'll use that phrase. And I hear these same things from developers all the time. So uh, whether it's in food service and, you know, we sort of imagine like maybe all the bad bosses are outside of software development. Do you think that could be true? Because I don't know that anybody used, at least not explicitly used a software development example. So maybe there's just I all did. the – oh, you did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was so trying to keep too. it under wraps because <laughs> uh, it's Jameson. Yeah. So I guess the reason I thought it was – I thought that was an interesting way to start was because I think it's really important that developers – and I'm going to say developers especially, even though I think all humans deserve a good boss. But I think it's really important that developers have a good boss. And who would disagree with that, right? 
Well, I don't know. It seems to me like in the industry, developers don't tend to put having a good boss at the top of their list. When I ask people, you know, what's your ideal job? Most people don't say, I want to work for a good boss. Hmm. That's true. What do you think we focus on? And I'll, I was a developer for 20 years. What? So I'll just say we. What do you think we focus on instead when we're out looking for a job? Uh, most people go straight to the peers, I think. Like, who am I going to be working with, not who am I going to be working for? Hmm. Usually, in my experience, people say, as long as the boss is tolerable and stays out of the way for the most part, I'm happy. As long as my peers are awesome. Like, that's the number one criteria. Would you guys agree? Yeah, especially, too, because I feel like at a lot of companies, like a lot of times the bosses or the managers, like they don't necessarily, that's not their favorite part of their job. Yeah, or they're there unwillingly, too, sometimes. Yeah, like they want to just program and then be a manager the rest of the time as much as they have to. As little as they have to. Yeah. Okay. So they're sort of like programmer plus plus, right? They're like, in their, in a perfect world, it'd be like 80% coding, 20% other messy, stupid stuff called managing. Or 100% coding. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. That is the stigma though, right? I mean, it's like, you know, management has a pretty bad rap, I'd say, in our industry. I agree. I mean, well, let's think about what, what do you think is the number one cultural icon for managers in tech? Dilbert's pointy haired boss. You got it. <laughs> That's it. And I've spent a couple of years researching that. That is the one everybody can name immediately. It's So why would any of us want to become bosses? That's crazy. Looks good on your resume. So I can rule my team with an iron fist. <laughs> is anybody here a boss? I am. You are? <laughs> the, one guy, the one guy who made the iron fist comment. Yeah, I, was, I think we see your, your management style coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. And are you one of those bosses like the other people here? So so I thought it was interesting what people said. Like when you talk to people in industry, programmers look for bosses who stay out of the way, just let them be and have amazing coworkers. It sounds like maybe as an industry, we've kind of put bosses in the back seat in our minds as they really only do harm. And so let's just like interact with them as little as possible rather than imagining how a great boss can give us an amazing benefit. Does that sound appropriate? I've seen that. Yeah. So I, yeah. And I, I guess the whole reason I'm just talking about this is I find this interaction really fascinating. I mean, I've been the programmer and I've been the boss and I've been the company owner. And I got to tell you, like my absolute worst fear when I became a boss was being the pointy haired Dilbert boss. Mm-hmm. That yeah, me was too. just like, I, I was a terrible boss because I didn't want to be the boss. If that makes any sense. I really just wanted to be the coder and I liked the money though. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I actually wanted to ask a question here. So I listened to another podcast a lot called software engineering radio, and they just came out with an episode this week on a practice they're calling like developer anarchy where they don't really have a boss Mm -hmm. and of course because they're interviewing the person who started this it sounds very appealing but I'm curious what your thoughts are on situations like that because it did sound really really good where like the bottom line that the person starting the company always said when people um, like asked him like what do you want me to do because they looked to him as a boss and he just said like make me money which is really all it boils down to for our jobs so I'm curious your thoughts on that kind of environment where you don't really have a boss. Does anybody, I'm just curious. Uh, so I, I haven't heard that phrase before. So clearly I need to do some research. I have heard of like the valve playbook, right? Where everybody kind of gets to decide the projects mm-hmm. they want to work on and it's self-organizing teams to the extreme. Yeah. So does anybody here work in an environment where it's like developer anarchy? I have worked in an environment like that. It was very much modeled off after the valve playbook. The, the thing about valve is they make a few billion dollars a year with, with a few hundred employees. They're one of the most successful companies on earth. It's really tempting to say, look at all this cool stuff Valve does. We're going to try it. And they're in such a unique situation with total control over everything that they build and some of the most valuable software products and platforms that exist on the earth. And, and it can be hard to make it work in other situations. Uh, I, I would say my experience with it was mostly negative. It wasn't, it wasn't horrible, but I think that life would have been better if we didn't follow that model for as long as we did. I've had a similar experience with Jameson. I, uh, Amy, I actually heard this episode and my boss and I have been debating the merits of this approach myself. <laughs> and 
what I believe, I believe Jameson hit it on the head. And what he said is that Valve is able to get away with that because they are the exception to the rule. And one of the things that that guest said on that episode was that this works for teams who have a very short market feedback time. So they were in internet advertising when he did that, at least one of the cases. Yep. Yep. And they were able to put out code into production, and within a matter of a couple of hours, they could measure their code's fitness for the job and see if their yep. revenue went up or down. And so it's like, well, yeah, get management out of that. You know, Just let the developer iterate really rapidly, and they can have direct access to the success metric. You know, And uh, I was like, well, that doesn't really describe any team I've been on. Unfortunately, the feedback time frame for me and the products I've worked on is usually measured in weeks at best. The other thing that can be an issue sometimes, and I know places like GitHub have had struggles with this, is when there's no explicit hierarchy, you go off an implicit hierarchy because humans are social yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And so we're really adept at creating hierarchies. And it, if you don't have kind of a manager to look to who can help kind of guide your career and help your team be effective, um, it, it turns into kind of this popularity contest where the people that have power are the cool people because someone will always have more power. And and that can cause some problems as well. So it definitely has some downsides. I think it's really bad for mentorship. <laughs> it's it's really hard to have a good mentor when everyone does whatever they want and there's no one has any responsibility over anyone else. Oh yeah. I was I was going to say that too as someone newer. I wouldn't want to be in an environment like that. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I'm probably not a fan and I think y'all hit on the important points. The first one is a lot of companies do things that are very unique. And that doesn't mean that you can just pick up the practice and drop it in and say, well, now we're going away from management. And so everybody in IT gets to run around and just do whatever you want as long as it's valuable. Uh, I have a feeling that would not really go over well with anybody. And the second thing is, is as somebody was talking, I had sort of flashbacks from junior high and high school of like, yes, we were all students. In theory, we were all <laughs> yeah. equal, but I was the lesser of many, many equals most of the time. So being at the bottom of that power status chain meant that uh, there was a whole lot of stuff that was really frustrating for me. And manage, I do think we all really look for hierarchies. And I think that because we look for them as people, that means we kind of tend to want them to some extent. So it's actually one of the things that I believe is when a developer has a boss who appears to not want his job, right? Because they're spending as little time developing as possible. I'm sorry, as little time managing and as much time developing. That kind of sends the signal that this job sucks and I don't really want it and it's not valuable. The really valuable thing I do is code. The less valuable thing I do is lead a team of six developers. Yet, at least most people would look at that and say, well, don't you see that you could impact the lives of six people for good, that you could help six people become more productive and get far more done than you could do individually? Why are you spending so much time in the code when you could really be creating a great software team? So I, I think that people act developers in the places where I've worked, the developers that are the happiest work in a hierarchy that's clear versus a hierarchy where it's a little confusing. I want to go back to the anarchy thing. I think it could be more appealing if you are in a situation where you're unhappy with the way management runs things. Then like if if you're kind of sitting around griping about people that don't know what they're doing, who are responsible for you and the decisions that happen in the company, it could be really appealing to say, if I could just do whatever I wanted, I would bypass these bozos and get real Mm. stuff done. Um, Kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it probably depends a little. And, and it probably is better in lots of situations than having really, really terrible management. Yeah, uh, no management might be better than, than bad management, right? Yeah, yeah. It could be. I don't want to make it sound like I'm 100% down on the idea. I could see the appeal to it in certain situations. I guess it seems like uh, one of those situations where you've got to have the right mix, the right mix of individuals. Management has to have the right mindset towards it. And maybe, and I, my guess is, in a lot of ways, you're going to probably have really high turnover, not because people don't like it, but because you've got to find a team that gels together and is willing to work together in a certain way. Because That's actually one of the points he made in the podcast, as he said, they could actually vote people off the island, right, Amy? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And they said they did turn people over a lot. It was like, it's not for everyone. So they'd get in and then the team would decide you're out. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, Netflix, and you probably know this, like Netflix uses the sports team metaphor for their teams, right? They, they, it's, you know, Adobe is more like a family, you know, you come in and you work there and if things don't work out here, we'll get you over there and you can always work for that weird uncle. And it's like, but you're part of the Adobe family. So we're going to do our best to keep you happy and look after your long-term growth and everything else. And Netflix is like, you know, we're an NBA team. And if you don't score enough points this season, you're out. And there's no hard feelings, but our job here is just to win games. And so we're going to trade you out uh, as soon as it appears that things aren't getting better. And they have things like the keeper test uh, and other, uh, they, they have a really high turnover, but they are always looking for the best of the best. And they have the, the idea that they can bring in great people, plug them into great processes and just do that repeatedly. And some people will only last a month and some people will last 10 years. But at the end of the day, everybody plays a role on the team that's very defined. And all you have to have is an attitude of, you know, you just go and you play this role. If you don't score enough games, they'll, they'll swap you out and you can go play for another great team. So, Marcus, you've spent, it seems, some time helping coach managers become managers and, and stuff. What have you found uh, that best help people to adapt into this new role? Oh, say coming from a developer background. Yeah. First, I've found it's really hard to make the transition, which maybe that shouldn't be shocking. Uh, I'm not sure. Was it hard for you? Uh, insanely hard. Yeah. And well, my, my whole professional life has been like magnetically drawn toward leadership and I've had to actively back that off. You know, I'm like, look, I'm not ready to do that. I want to be a, a, just a coder. I want to be a developer. Um, and finally, after about 15 years, I decided to just give in to the collective, to the Borg, you know, and assimilate. And yeah, it's been really, really challenging. I mean, in ways I never would have expected, but it's also been really rewarding and exciting. Well, that's great. First of all, so if anybody out there is listening, I want you to notice that at the end, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? If you, once you make the transition, it can be rewarding and exciting. I find that it's difficult at the beginning and in the middle, it gets very messy. And a lot of people kind of get stuck in the middle and they end up in this half and half situation. So the first thing is to like recognize it is a transition and it's easy to get stuck, especially if you're in an organization that almost structures things that way. Like, well, we'll promote you to a team lead, but you got to code 75% of the time. And people will get trapped in that bog of trying to both be a great manager and a great contributor. And I think that's one way that, that people get stuck. And organizations actually almost set that trap unwittingly for people. But the other thing I think is there's this enormous sense of self-identity change that happens. D did it happen to you when you had to think of yourself differently as, you know, you're not a contribute, you're not a software engineer anymore, you're something different? You mean like self-loathing that I'm becoming the pointy-haired boss? Oh my gosh. Well, I didn't mean that exactly, but if it's happening, <laughs> well, we, sh we should talk. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's the fear. Yes. Is that I will move into that persona. That's exactly right. And I remember I felt really bad after about a year of managing because I, so I love to code. I don't, I don't, do you guys love to code? Do you just love it? Yes. Thank you. At least someone said yes. More than my own mother. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I got my first. She listens to this podcast, Dave. She's offended now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, mom. Like, love I got... you, mom. I got my first computer at Not 12. It was a Commodore VIC-20. I wrote assembly and basic on it. I was in front of a black and white TV and junior high. I mean, I was like super nerdy and all I ever wanted to do was write software. And so when I didn't get to do that anymore, I, I had like a pretty traumatic identity crisis and kept whenever things in the management side got hard you would find me running right back to the code. That's just what I would do. So making that transition was really tough from an identity perspective. And I didn't, and then I've really feared becoming something bad. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You fear becoming a bad boss, a micromanager, a pointy haired boss, whatever it is. So this new thing you're becoming at first only fe feels like it has downside, right? Uh, we don't have a lot of great inspirational bosses. I'm certainly not a Steve Jobs. So, and I don't think, you know, he was a great leader. I think that's very different than being a great manager. And then thirdly, I had to do all this failure, all this feeling bad in my new position in public because I was now supposed to act like I knew what I was doing in front of my team, even though I was incredibly unsure if it was the right thing to do at any given time. 
And I was always worried about being that pointy haired boss. So I had that very much a novice feeling. And yet I felt like I was performing on stage in front of seven people that were watching my every move. Mm -hmm. So would you say that uh, that transition to managers is a lot like people uh, who are entering the development industry and use the term imposter syndrome a lot? There is a lot of imposter syndrome. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think I entered development earlier than that phrase was used. I don't think I realized that people feel like imposter developers, but they definitely feel like imposter managers. Is imposter developers is actually a thing? Oh, yeah. People talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Maybe it's a human thing. Oh, I think it absolutely is. <laughs> I think anytime you're trying something new, I think it can it can happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, there, and I guess you asked like practical things. I mean, I think a lot of it is realizing that it's not easy. And the other thing is finding management practices and structures that you can plug in and sort of start at least with a, a fighting chance. For example, I am a huge fan on doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. Okay. Like I think every manager should do a one-on-one -on -one meeting with every developer every week. That's, I'm just a Nazi about it. And I think that if you step into management, like, and you're not sure what to do, just that single meeting is going to improve your chances of success tremendously. So what do you tell a developer whose manager doesn't do that and never has talked about it? Like, what are your options? Well, and, and I actually get emails from developers who wish they had better managers and feel powerless. But since only one of you here is a manager, I'll just ask the question, do you feel like you have any influence on your manager? Can you, can you suggest things that you want that, to change and improve the relationship with that manager? Or do you feel like they have all the power in dictating the way the relationship happens between you and them? I would say for me, so I'm not going to speak about my new position because I'm still kind of learning the ropes there. But in my previous position, I felt I pretty much felt the whole time that things I said would be taken seriously. But obviously, the more valuable you are as a developer, the more you contribute to the team, the more people are willing to listen to you. So I think it takes time before, you know, you're able to speak up and have the respect of others around you. I'm glad you felt I, like your boss would at least, even now, I hope you feel like even though you're, you're just learning the ropes that your oh, boss definitely. respects yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to ask this, Amy, if, does your boss do one-on-ones with you? Um, right now I'm still so new there that, uh, we haven't set this up. I think I have one this week actually on my calendar, but again, cause I'm still new. It's hard to speak to that. But in my previous role, we had them every other week and yes, they were very helpful. Okay. Let's see. AJ, any thoughts? So I have mostly worked freelance and, and now I am my own boss again because I'm co-founder. But when I worked as a, a team lead, I started doing one-on-ones and I think that it was really beneficial. I think, Jameson, you were there when I started doing that. I think that was actually like the month you left. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't so maybe how that worked out. out. <laughs> no, but, but I, it, I it was it, a while ago, so I don't know. I thought it was really, really good, and I, I felt like it was very personal. You know, it, it helped develop the friendship because I don't want to be somebody's boss. I don't want to tell them what to do. I want to say like, "Hey, you're an asset, and how can I help you be happy and be the best asset you can be?" So, Marcus, I've heard you use the term boss or manager and the term lead interchangeably. Do you see those as the same thing? I think they're highly interchangeably culturally. Like, I, I think that people will talk about their boss and people who have a boss, they'll say, oh, my boss said this or my boss said that. And it doesn't really matter that person's title, right? Nobody has a boss business card. So I think when I talk about it that way, I'm just referring to the fact that one person is responsible for or give, you know, another person's work. Does that make sense? Well, how about, how about the word manager versus the word lead? Or leader. I think manager and leader are different things, uh, although they're very closely related. Lead is oftentimes like lead developer, team lead, tech lead. I see those as like titles given to people who are first stepping into management out of an individual contributor role. So maybe your question is, what's the difference between a manager yeah. and a leader? 
Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I've quite figured it out because I think there is a lot of overlap. I usually think about it like this. A manager's job is to help their team produce as much value as possible for the company. And that will involve sometimes managing, quote unquote, managing things at various levels. There's a little bit of project management, there's people management, there's hiring activities, there's termination and firing and correction and evaluating tools and possibly evaluating architecture and lots of other things that are really the activities of the person who's responsible for getting as much as they can out of another team of people. And some people stay stuck in the management activities and never really move to the next level of what I think of as leadership activities, which is, I tend to have this idea it's more about relationship and inspiration and guidance and I guess kind of becoming that manager who my dad was in the Navy and he used to say he had a captain that the whole crew would go down with the ship for, if that makes any sense. And it was the idea of like, he worked on a boat and if the boat sunk, the captain would go down, but the crew was so loyal to them. The crew would literally, this was his hypothesis, have been willing to stand on the deck with the captain and go down. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I see managing as being a whole realm of activities and leading being, I guess, the next step up of many of those activities. And oftentimes I think about leadership as occurring. It's more the, more the soft skills, more of the aspirational pieces, more, but maybe you can tell I haven't quite figured it all out. I, I don't think I've got a great definition yet. Yeah. It's definitely fuzzy. I mean, not that your answer is fuzzy. I mean, I think in general, people have a fuzzy idea of the difference between those two. So I guess, you know, like if you're a manager, if someone says, oh, I'm not really a leader. Well, yes, you are in the same way as the captain of the football team was a leader, even though actually he wasn't a manager. And there's lots of people that are leaders in our, in life and in organizations that don't manage anybody. And then there's other people who are managers, right? Who don't aspire or inspire at all. And no one really wants to follow them. They just kind of are, I don't know, they're just there doing management activities. And oftentimes I think those people haven't really embraced their role. So they have not become leaders yet. But on the other hand, their team looks at them as a leader. So I'm probably wrong on about 90% of what I'm saying. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I, there's this great, uh, have you guys ever heard of uh, leader member exchange theory? Is that LMX? No. Nope. So if I can get a tiny bit nerdy, there's this wonderful sociology theory called leader member exchange, and it sits in direct opposition to what a lot of other leadership theories are based on. And that most leadership theories are based on the idea of somebody is a great man, the Steve Jobs, Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon. People are leaders because they're born that way. So Hence the saying, leaders are born, not made. And in the 70s, the sociologists started studying work in a more serious way. And they realized that there was this other really important key. And this other key was not about the individual attributes of one person at the top of a group or an organization, but it was about the relationship between every leader and every member in his group, and they called that relationship the exchange that they have. And so thus was created this field of study called leader-member exchange, and it's abbreviated LMX. And the theory postulates that it is this relationship between the leader and the member that is the most important thing in, determine, in determining job satisfaction and job performance, as well as a whole host of other good things. So they basically said that people, or, or if you have a really good relationship with your boss, they would say you have high quality LMX is the way they would sociologists talk about it. If you have a high quality relationship with your boss, you are much more likely statistically to be happy, to be satisfied, to stay longer, as well as to produce better. You're going to produce more stuff, better stuff, all that other things. And inversely, if you have a terrible relationship with your boss, you're more likely to leave soon. You're more likely to just kind of punch a clock. You're more likely to not really care about the work, all because of your relationship with your boss. Now, 
after I've said that, I'm curious, how does that resonate with you guys? Does that seem like it would be true or does that seem like maybe that doesn't make any sense? So a friend of mine was telling me about a study that's been done over a couple of decades and the number one key factor in happiness. In fact, the only factor that was trackable over the study was the success of interpersonal relationships leading to happiness and none of the other things health, wealth, et cetera, correlated well enough over the course of the study to be significant. So I think people matter most. Wow. I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds like a really impactful study. And when you think about a boss that you worked for that was a really great, that you had a great working relationship with, do you think it colored the work you did? So the best boss I had was actually the pizza place I worked at. I worked at Little Caesars. And the guy had really high expectations. Like if you were late to work, then and you would get fired. You had like a, it was like a two strike policy, but he was super accommodating. Like as long as you called in and said you needed whatever you need, the schedule needed to work out or you were sick or whatever, as long as you communicated, totally cool. He cross trained everyone so we could all do each other's jobs. So finding someone else to do your shift was super easy. I was really happy. I loved going to work. I was working at a pizza place, but I was happy. That's awesome. I mean, you and you can just imagine that, and, and I'm just going to be like, if a guy who manages a pizza place can make employees want to come to work and be enthusiastic there, the boss-employee relationship must matter a lot because that doesn't sound like a great job, at least not on the surface. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I stood next to an oven and pulled pizzas out and then I rotated mean, over to put the dough in. <laughs> it's better than like, say, writing C++, but still, you know, it's okay. Yeah, it probably was better than writing C++. <laughs> and see, though, that's the kind of thing that terrifies me as a manager because I can't measure that. I can't even know. Sometimes I can't even know how I'm doing in that area. You know, it's so hard to know. Have you been able to train leaders to say, like, here's how you can know if you're doing a good job, even in this one area? I think so. First of all, I think it is measurable, but I think it starts with your gut. So I guess I would ask you, like, First, how do you think people relate to you? And I, you know, if we were working together, I would say like, yeah, go through a little exercise of sort of scoring how you think the quality of relationship with each person on your team is, and maybe in three or four different areas. But then I think maybe what you should do is learn to get feedback better. We all need a REPL in our lives, right? Coders need a REPL for obvious reasons, but you know what? As a manager, you need an evaluation loop to know how you're doing and you need to get feedback to improve, right? Because I can tell right from your voice, like that is the thing you want to be a great manager. You want to be the little Caesars manager for your team, but is it happening? And I think that you can start to ask your team really honest questions and be vulnerable and ready to hear the hard truth of when it's working and when it's not and create an environment by which in behind closed doors and sometimes even in team meetings, people can give you feedback because they know the reason you want it is to improve. I have found they're being tremendously motivating for developers if they know why their manager wants feedback and they know that it's because they want to get better and we all need that, then managers, I'm sorry, then developers are willing to take the risk to give feedback to their managers. But without that, it sort of seems like what's in it for me and why are we doing this? What if you use this for evil instead of good? That kind of brings me to a question I wanted to ask. So for the people that our managers, what is it that you wish you could ask of your employees? Like, what kind of feedback do you want from them? What do you want them to bring to the table when they come into their one-on-ones? Mm, that's a great question. And I think every environment's a little bit different. I've worked in agile environments where the manager didn't do a lot of direct tasking of the person uh, because they took it off of a board and there were product owners and like the developer knew where to get their tasks. And in that case, I think I, uh, there, but there's always a set of training initiatives, at least almost always training initiatives and business initiatives and other kinds of things that the manager and the developer agree are important. And so sometimes it's a matter of preparing, you know, 
I'm going to want to know where that, uh, where you are on those initiatives, right? We said you were going to learn E6. Are you learning it? How's that coming? Are you doing the, you know, the online workshop or whatever? I am really a fan of, you all are seriously going to throw rocks at me, okay? But I'm a fan of timesheets. I'm just going to duck now, okay? Throw the cell phone. <laughs> Throw the cell phone. <laughs> I'm a fan of timesheets because as a manager, it's not just enough to see like, oh, you worked on project one, two, and three. When I can take a look and see like, oh, you worked on project three last week. You thought that might take four or five more hours to finish. It looks like you put 27 hours in and you're not done. Like that is not a place for punitive. Like, why are you doing this? You're bad. But that gives me as a manager some insight into like, this guy might need some training. This gal might need some support or maybe she got blocked or maybe that thing's a lot different than I thought it was or even than they thought it was. I find that looking at how people are investing their time and their work yields tremendous amount of information to me as the manager. But a lot of people hate doing timesheets. So this is why I say you're probably going to throw stones at me. But I found them to be incredibly useful. And uh, I worked in client services at an agency uh, when I owned my I owned my own agency. So everything was billable by the hour. So it made a really easy reason to have to do timesheets. But yeah, I think the employee should prepare questions, should prepare things they want to talk about, should come into the one-on-one ready to make it productive. And the manager should do the same thing. In fact, uh, I think they should actually share a common set, uh, like a Google Doc, of one-on-one notes or use something like getlighthouse.com, which is a SaaS that helps track promises and activities Done, you know, spoken about and, and committed to in one-on-ones across multiple weeks. But you do need to sort of, I think, both sides need to come to that meeting ready to talk and ready to be honest. So I want to push back on the timesheet thing. Go ahead. I agree that I can see the value in knowing how the, the people on your team are spending their time. But it seems like that kind of ignores the the fact that there's a cost to collecting that information. And specifically, the, the cost of making people fill out a timesheet is, is making it feel a lot like you have this person looking over your shoulder all the time. You're not trusted. It's kind of some busy work to do. So it seems like the, the underlying principle of know what your team is working on, know how, uh, how they're spending their time is good. But it feels like there could be a less authoritarian way of getting that information. I think it depends on the context. So... First of all, if you do have to realize there's a cost of collection and that cost is both. And as a manager, you have to be willing to pay the cost, right? We don't well, ask I, I, the, the cost is the morale of your team, right? Well, That's there's so, two so costs. you can expend some of the morale of your team in filling that out. And then if the benefit makes up for it and you, you boost the morale more from that information, then it's good. But I think, I, I think a lot of teams would, would not be benefited from, from the cost of it. I think there's two costs. There's a real time investment, right? Let's say it takes 15 minutes a week to, to collect the time. So that is overhead, right? So that's yeah, a real but that, cost. That doesn't seem like a big part of it at all. Well, that's, that's, that's probably not the part you're, you're, you're worried about is my guess. You're worried about this feeling that, and I liked how you said it, because I think it's real. Developers will feel like they're watched, right? I think that's one of the hallmarks of bad management in developers and developers are very sensitive to micromanagement and a lack of trust. And so anything that just has a hint of that is pretty easy to trip their pointy haired boss sensors. I think. Mm -hmm. I think that that's highly cultural and that I think people have become much more sensitive to that in the last 10 years. If I could just be completely frank, I can tell you 10 years ago when I uh, was working in enterprise, and my guess is there's a lot of people listening to this show, whether on enterprise or they work for an agency and their time is billed by the hour, that they do do timesheets. And my guess is some of them hate it and some of them don't even think it's terrible at all uh, because I ran a team of 55 developers and never once was asked if we could not do timesheets. And I did that for eight years. Never once did someone complain about timesheets. So I think that if it's used for evil, if it is actually a part of micromanaging, pointy-haired boss management, I guess it's like a hammer. I think anything, you know, you can certainly build a lot of great houses with a hammer or you can do a lot of damage with it. I won't deny that culturally, maybe that hammer has got a bad rap, but I think it's coupled with, poor management who says, 
management is really just measuring everything about my team that I can measure. Because uh, I think that is poor management. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And my guess is, are there things that other people measure, not time, about what programmers do? Um, it used to be lines of code, right? Function points. I don't know. What do poor managers measure now in substitute for the relational work they should be doing with their teams? I don't think I've ever had a manager that measured something numeric about my work like uh, in the same vein as lines of code. Thank goodness. That might be the hallmark of a bad man. Boy, I commit a lot of JSON files to the repo. <laughs> Super productive. Super productive. Crank those lines of code out. Commit our GitHub modules. That, or commit that's our the, modules, I mean. That's the classic Dilbert cartoon where, is it Wally who says, you know, he finds out that there's this incentive for the, you know, whoever fixes the most number of bugs on the team gets a cash reward. And Wally says, I'm going to go code myself up a minivan. That is right? one of my favorite Dilberts. Yep. <laughs> And it's like classic incentive system that's been twisted for bad use, you know? Exactly. And and I certainly – well, I'm just going to say, I, I before we leave the topic of timesheets, I'm not going to say everybody should be doing timesheets, but I think there are organizations that would benefit from them. And I think the other thing is, is they bring I, – I guess I think of it as – it's another tool that people could consider. I, I think everything must be done, though, if we go back to LMX, to increase and improve the relationship between managers and developers. So if your timesheets are seriously getting in the way of that, then I would say you should probably consider throwing them out. Because while it's not a friend relationship, it must be a deep, trust, high-quality task-related business relationship in which two people are willing to really be very friend-like, even if you're not actually friends. So as a developer, I think a lot of people ask the question, two-part question. A, am I manager material? And B, am I ready to go into management? What do you tell people who ask you those questions? So first of all, I think everybody is capable of being a manager because just like the person said earlier, human relationships are the most important things in our whole lives. And LMX theory tells us that relationships with our employees are the things that matter the most. And we all know how to create relationships. We all do that professionally and personally and romantically and for all kinds of different reasons. So I think if you're a human being, you can be a manager. That's my sense. It doesn't mean you'll, you won't have some work to do, but there's real work in learning anything and learning to do it well. What was the second part of the question? Am I ready? How do I know? I think you start to be ready to become a manager when you start really caring about the team. Uh, I see this a lot in senior developers as they start to not just focus on the lines of code. Uh, one of the first thing that happens is people start to be really concerned about process and they think about how we work together. Uh, junior developers oftentimes are really concerned about, you know, how big is your function or, or, you know, this, the different parts of the code that they are learning. Regular programmer, you know, programmers uh, in their middle years are concerned about writing really high quality code that, that has great practices surrounding it. And I see senior people being concerned and putting more emphasis on how the team relates to one another and the practices and process and relationships within that team. I think if you're thinking and spending time on those kinds of ideas, you're probably, then you're ready to start moving into to leadership positions. So I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the assumptions under the conversation we've been having so far. I feel like we've talked a lot about um, kind of the, the burden of management and how it's hard to get into. It does come with, I mean, part of the burden is like the giant weight of added money and prestige and power too. So it feels a little Where am I going to put all my gold? Yeah, yeah. It feels a little disingenuous to complain uh, about how hard management is when often that's like moving up the career ladder. But also, there are a lot of people that, that maybe don't want to go into management. And if they feel like the way to be more respected is to be a manager, then, then that can cause a lot of stress, too. So what do you say to people Definitely. that they recognize the value of good management? Maybe they don't feel like they have the skill set to do it well, or they don't think they'd be happy doing it well, or they just love other parts of the job. What do you say to those people about maybe progressing in their career or being happy? Uh, well, first of all, I, it, I think everyone should optimize for happiness. So if you love coding, and I really did love coding, if you love certain kinds of work that aren't 
leadership and management work. I don't think you should go into management just because it brings more money. Uh, and I do actually think organizations should reward and many, many organizations have a technical track, right? Where we see people going into architect or senior architect or principal scientist or other kinds of terms that means they're not managed. Oftentimes it means they're not managing a team, but they have a lot more influence in the organization and they're spending time on technology in different ways than they did. So they, they do see a progression. In fact, my guess is most great organizations have that sort of thing. Have, have you guys seen that too? Yeah, I know Facebook uh, makes it very explicit that there's a parallel management and technical track, and they're equal in pay and prestige, and and you can progress to be a senior technical leader without being a manager. That's um, and I, I think that's pretty common in other organizations as well. I think it is. I think I've heard it. It is exactly the same at Microsoft, and uh, I know at the company I worked at for 14 years, a big global enterprise, we put in place that exact thing. And once you know, you it basically went junior programmer, and yeah, eventually we eliminated that title because people thought it was offensive. So programmer, senior programmer, and from there you could split into being a team lead or uh, an architect, and from there you could go up to you know. Um, department manager or a senior architect. I think those kinds of things are really important. I will say that culturally within the company, though, there always seemed to be a sense of the people on the management side sort of looked at the people over there and thought, oh, you, you don't want to be one of us. And I don't think that's right, but I think it happens. And I'd be a liar if I said that culturally, you know, it's one thing to say these are equal pay, which they were. These are equal status. Sure, that sounds great. But at some point, it seems like one of those tracks terminates more quickly than the other. Terminates in terms of pay? I think just like my guess is if you wanted to be the CTO, then you would probably have to be on the management track. I don't know if they would let you be the CTO or the CEO if you were on the technical track I think at some point that would just, uh, I see what you mean. That would truncate. Yeah. There would be no, no rung above a certain level where on the management track, typically we see people then moving into, okay, I'm a department manager. I'm the vice president of engineering. I'm the vice president of IT, senior vice president, you know, all the way up CTO or CEO sorts of executive roles. So speaking of those kinds of roles, can I just be blunt? Like, why would anyone ever want to be like a department manager? Like, that, it just sounds, it sounds awful. Like, in your experience, are these people like, yes, I want to be a department manager? Or are they like, this is a stepping stone to CEO? Like, what, what's going on in these people's minds? Uh, I was one of those people. I mean, I was, okay, I didn't even make it like to full-on department manager. I was the assistant software services group manager. I was the ask. At least you weren't the, the assistant to the <laughs> yeah. software service. I knew That's that was, was coming. <laughs> I knew it. And you, and, and the acronym was ask GM. So I had to basically live with that as well, which I didn't like. So the reality is, is why yeah, do people do it? Well, to some extent it becomes the, every organization's different and every organization has a different ladder, right? And so when you are sitting at the team lead or the senior team lead level and someone says, you know, would you like to be, you know, the, the department manager for the software engineering group? You say yes, if, if that's the track you're on, if that's kind of where that seems like the next logical step. I don't think there's any seven year olds that sit back and think, I really want to be a department manager, but I could be wrong. <laughs> that's true. Like what? I'll just, I'll give you my very short and innocent experience. But when I decided to formally move into management, which by the way, I define as, you know, people's salaries, like that to me mm -hmm. is the difference between management and leadership. I think that's a good um, point. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically the difference. I had been in leadership roles before, you know, team lead and that was great, but I never knew how much people got paid, right? Manager is now, you know, how much people get paid and you got to help them with that. And you can fire um, them. Yeah, exactly. So firing and salaries like mm -hmm. those, that's like the two things that you're in management when you have to do those things yeah well anyway on my team a vacancy appeared and the people who were showing up to fill that vacancy the team just wasn't super excited about and i said look i don't love the idea of going into management and i certainly don't want to be a department manager when i grow up but i love this team and i want them to have like somebody who really cares about them and who can really like help them and and you know make an awesome environment for them and so i volunteered for that reason and 
I am struck when I hear about people in like mega corporations who are like, well, I want to go be a department manager. Like, what is it that motivates them? Do they have similar kinds of motivation as I did for my team? Or, or is it something else like in your experience when you talk to these people? I don't understand those people at all. I'll be honest. Like these are the people in college that had some weird IT management degree, which I, I think is kind of useless. But I, I don't understand why people would want to lead other people they didn't really care about. It's funny you tell that story because I have a client, a coaching client, that has literally told me that exact same story. And he describes it as this. He says, so I took one for the team and I stepped yes. into the leadership role. And I was that's like, it's exactly the words I use. <laughs> Do you mean like in baseball, when you lean your shoulder into the pitch and you get, you put yourself in a place of harm to benefit other people? And he's like, that's exactly what I mean. So I think it's really too bad that that's the way, you know, oftentimes we perceive management. But my guess is those are the people like you and like him. And, and I'll even throw myself in there. I didn't excitedly go into management because I kept wanting to be a coder. But you did it because you love the people you work with and you see an opportunity to make their lives better. Cool. Well, I wish we could talk some more, but we're running out of time. Is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't ask? I think you... Well, golly, I think we've just been all over the place. No, I think this has been really fun, and I really appreciate everybody's time. I hope that if you're uh, thinking about going into management, you consider it because, as somebody here earlier said, it brings – once you cross the chasm, and it does feel like a chasm, at least it did for me, you start to see that working through a team of developers is immensely satisfying. Seeing that you can trust those people, seeing that you can protect and provide for them, and that you are a part of building great software by giving people a great place to work. I think it's a wonderful job. Uh, and if you're a manager, uh, I hope that you decide to go out and talk with your people more and you decide to invest more in that team because they, it, it is you that sits in the position of making the biggest difference about how they feel about their jobs. Uh, Psychology Today, I'll end with this quote. They said, the boss manager relationship is the lens by which all other activities are viewed by the employee. So just remember, they are looking at you and what you do really matters. So awesome. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Our guest today was Marcus Blankenship. Marcus, uh, if people want to meet you or find out more about you, where can they go? They can go to my site, marcusblankenship.com. I've got a newsletter where I write about all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to MicroConf in a week. So if you're there, uh, look forward to seeing you. Thanks very much. All right. Shall we move to picks? Amy, can you start us off today? Yep, I'm ready to go this week. So the first one I have, when I picked the one, uh, I believe it was last week on like an intro to functional programming in JavaScript, someone asked me if I had some like other similar blog posts that I really, really liked. So one that I was going to pick, it's really old. It's from, well, <laughs> really old for software. It's from 2013. Uh, and it's definitely for very new JavaScript developers. But if you are a very new JavaScript developer and you're trying to understand how JavaScript prototypes work, I will put a link in the show notes for a blog post. It's called A Plain English Guide to JavaScript Prototypes. And it's just really, really, really good. Uh, it's the thing that really made it click for me a long time ago. But the other one I want to pick back on uh, my health kick, I have a new favorite protein bar, and you can get them at givebar.com. So I used to be a huge fan of Quest bars. I would venture to say these are even better than Quest bars. So if you're into that kind of thing, you might want to order some of those or see if you can find them at a grocery store by you. And that's it for me. Now, are you sponsored <laughs> by them? <laughs> That's a very no, pitch. but they're so good. They're so good. Okay. I sound like it's a, sponsor them. <laughs> I, I think our mission now is to get you sponsored yeah. by them so you can get free ones. So you can go from pick to pitch. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. They're really, really, really good. All right. So, I'll try that out. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Amy. Jameson, your picks today. I just have one pick. It's an album called Luck by an artist named Tom Vec. He's... Kind of an eclectic, electronic-ish, but also just kind of generic rock-ish artist that's it's just been my soundtrack for the past week. It's got some good stuff on it. That's my pick. 
Marcus, do you have picks for us today? I do. I've got a book by Bruce Tolgan called The 27 Challenges Managers Face, as you might have expected. Uh, it's a great book if you are a manager in the first five years of career. It's sort of like a one of those cookbooks where you just turn to a chapter and he sort of highlights, if you've got this problem, here's a few ideas about how to deal with it. And I think it's really useful. All right. Dave, so I today... have another pick. Oh, Jameson, bonus pick. Yeah, bonus pick. I, one I'm more pick self-promoter marketer person ever the react rally call for proposals is open right now if you're interested in speaking on react or react related topics we'd love to hear from you it's at speak.reactrally.com tickets will probably not be on sale by the time this goes out but information about tickets is always on just reactrally.com so check those things out didn't you guys have the first round of early bird tickets go on sale yeah, they, they went on sale uh, last Friday. I think they sold out in like five seconds or something. Whoa! Yeah, so it, <laughs> Holy it's, a, it's, it's good for conference organizers because it makes us feel less stressed about getting put into debtor's prison. Um, it's bad <laughs> for people that want to go because that means a lot of people didn't get tickets. But we're, we're doing another early bird round and then tickets will go on sale at the beginning of May probably after we've announced the speaker lineup. Okay, so early bird on sale now, or will or will be going on sale again? Maybe, after, maybe it, yeah, unless out. they sell out in five um, seconds again. Yeah, but, but and then general sure. availability will be in May. Yeah, lazy. Awesome. Bird. Is that what we can call those? Lazy bird. Early lazy bird lazy. tickets go on sale in May. <laughs> yep, that's it. Thanks, Jameson. Okay, I have two picks for you today. On the topic of management, one of the books that's been really influential to me is called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Uh, this is a book about qualities of leaders where they can really help. They're people. I liked it because it was really people focused and it helped me get a framework for how to do leadership, which had been really nebulous to me before then. And uh, my second pick is our new podcast. Jameson, uh, Jameson and I started a new podcast called Soft Skills Engineering. We're on Twitter at Soft Skills ENG. And we, uh, we actually talk about topics kind of like today's topic a little bit. Um, I think we will have an episode about that coming up. And uh, we talk about the everything else in software engineering that's not technical. We talk about um, relationships and working dynamics and arguments and all kinds of fun things that uh, we don't often talk about. So it's good it's, stuff. It's kind of an advice show. So if you have a question, yeah, yeah. You can ask it and then we answer it. And if no one asks a question, we make one up and answer that one. And we pretend like someone asked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's our show. That is it for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 